Well, I love today how it feels like everyone who has led today has been sensitive to the fact that, yes, the holidays are the most wonderful time of the year, but they're not always easy, right? Um, just show of hands, you, you, and you don't have to raise your hand. If some of you are like, no, I don't want to, don't, please. But has anybody had just, it's been a tough week. A few? Yeah. Everybody else, you're like, I'm so full, I can't even raise my hand. Is that the thing? <laughs> I, um, I don't know. When I was growing up, uh, I, I grew up in church, and that's just not something that people admitted, that sometimes family can be challenging, that sometimes family can be hard, that, that holidays sometimes can feel like the loneliest time of the year. And sometimes it brings out some of the most challenging dynamics that we all experience, right? Um, if, you, if you missed Michael's message last week, which I, I just felt so proud to be a part of Faith Bridge last week, listening to Michael preach, that was, um, what an incredible, incredible uh, message. If you missed it, you can get it on the podcast, go catch up. But he t- did such a great job talking about the gratitude that we can feel for what we do have. And yes, Thanksgiving is about that, but Thanksgiving is kind of the precursor to Uh, Christmas in a lot of cases. And for a lot of people, you've been around people the last few days that are sometimes challenging for you. In fact, I saw someone this morning, uh, right when I walked in this morning, I said, well, are you so glad to be here today? And he said, I am so glad to be here today because we have so many house guests. My only way to get away with them was to get away from them was to come to church, which I thought that's one way to put it, right? That's remarkable. But when they, when they, um, today's a little bit different because uh, we've been trucking through the book of Acts, right? And so um, the last, the, the, during that series, so wonderful because you just have a passage. You're like, all right, this is what we're going to talk about today. Today was a little different because the team a couple of weeks ago said, hey, Clay, you can preach about anything you want on this Sunday. And so I thought, well, what are some of the questions that our kids have asked me recently that might become sermons? I'll just give you those. These are not things we're going to talk about today. One, do dogs go to heaven? It's an important question. Uh, my wife and I are in very, we've had some real challenging discussions about that because she says no, they don't have souls. And I say, maybe you don't have a soul. What kind of person are you? <laughs> yes, dogs go to heaven. That's easy. It's new creation, new life. That one's easy. Um, second one, this came up this past week. Our kids, one of our children asked me, what is God's view of vaping? And I was like, who wants to know? Is this like asking for a friend, right? We're not going to dick into that one. Um, (laughs) Some of you are like, ooh, I'd kind of be interested to know. Um, Another one, just this week, I was asked by one of our children, um, if there are aliens on other planets, does that threaten God? Wow, what a deep question. Uh, The easy answer on that one is no. I don't think God's threatened by that. God's the creator of all, but we don't have time to get into all that one. Some of you are like, ooh, that would be interesting as well. These are just sermon ideas, all right? This is not, this is the one I landed on, though. This is the question that I thought would be appropriate coming out of Thanksgiving, going into Christmas. You can throw that question up. Here's here's the question that I want to talk about today. What do Jesus followers do about the people in our lives that we're supposed to love but hardly even like? Aren't you so grateful that you go to a church where we can talk about honest things like this, right? Because for some of you, this is really relevant, right? 
You know I'm supposed to love them, but I don't really even like them. And that makes it really difficult to love them. I mean, I do in a general sense love them. Like I wish good things. I don't wish bad things. I do want good for them. But it's just hard. It's hard to be around people. I'm just curious. How many of you over the last week, you've been around someone in your family that you're like, I don't, it's hard for me to like them. Yeah, a bunch of us. I, I, I um, spent the last week with my in-laws, my wife's family. I, I, I generally love them, in case they are listening to this sermon. <laughs> but my wife is one of four kids, and she's the only girl. The other three, uh, she has three brothers. And they have not been the most warm, welcoming family for me to enter into. And I can joke with them about that now. It's been almost 18 years, and so I feel like, hey, I'm not going anywhere, all right? So get used to it. But it's been a little challenging for me to learn how to love people that I wouldn't say I just naturally have things in common with. And I also recognize they seem like they have a hard time loving me as well. So I get it. It definitely goes both ways. What do you do? As Jesus followers, we are called to love people like this. We're called to love people that we might not always get along with, right? You remember what Jesus said about this? He says, what good is it to love someone who loves you, right? Anyone can do that. The harder thing is, and I wouldn't call these people my enemies, but the harder thing is to love people that you don't necessarily even like. How how do we do that? How How do we deal with people that we might have some bad blood with, right? You remember that T. Swift song? I saw the Travis Kelsey jersey. It feels like we can't go a day without recognizing the the holy matrimony that we hope for out of that relationship, right? But Taylor Swift had that song called Bad Blood. You remember that? She said, Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes. I feel like every one of our relationships, no matter where it is right now, every one of our relationships has potential bad blood around the corner. And I don't mean to be, you know, dramatic about this, but in every relationship, it's one statement away, one argument away, one take away, one, one strong opinion away. Somebody leaves their phone on while they're talking to someone else, or you, you know, miss, accidentally dial someone and your phone's on and they hear you talking about someone and all of a sudden there's bad blood in the relationship. What do we do? What do we do about those relationships in our life that aren't always easy? Some of you have, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a cousin, maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe this is somebody you work with, but around this time of year, it's usually somebody that you're related to that you used to get together with, but you don't get together with them anymore. Or maybe you get together with them and it's a bit of a challenge. What do we do about those relationships. And I, 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 I started that question by saying, what do Jesus followers do? Because if you're not a Jesus follower, if somebody just invited you here and you're trying to figure your faith out, or maybe you feel like you put your faith down years ago and maybe you're trying to decide, do I want to pick it back up again? Is this a meaningful part of my life? I don't believe God has ever let you go for one moment. But I just want to let you know that if you're not a Jesus follower, you're off the hook today. Today, you can just listen in and be like, yeah, what do you guys have to do? I know what I have to do. Whatever I want, right? But for Jesus followers, there are some commands, there are some imperatives, there are some non-negotiables, some things that aren't options about what we're supposed to do with people that we don't even necessarily really like, but we know that we're supposed to love. And the good news about the Bible, in fact, if you don't have a Bible, just hold your hand up in the air. We'd love to just give you one. You can use it today or you can even take it home. It'll be our gift to you. But thank you to all these amazing volunteers that are passing these out. We're going to look at Romans 12. We're going to look at a couple of verses in Romans 12. And uh, written by a man named Paul. And Paul is such a good, he's an expert on this subject, right? Do you think Paul had any bad blood in his life? Right? 
I mean, just a quick bio, biographical sketch on Paul. Paul grew up with all of these Jewish men and women that he was so close with. I mean, to the point where they, were, they would go around causing trouble for anyone who wasn't a Jew. They would go and persecute, particularly followers of the way is what they were called then, or Christian Jesus followers. And so these are all people that he was real tight with. So he made a bunch of enemies on this side because he persecuted some of their family members. He even oversaw some deaths of some of their family members. So he had enemies on this side. And then he had this massive conversion. So now all of a sudden he's got all this bad blood on this side with people that he used to grow up with, that, that, he, that he used to know from his childhood, that we used to be so tight. What happened, Paul? What's changed in your life? You used to be Saul and now you're Paul. What's changed? And so he's honestly, he's up to his eyeballs in bad blood. He's got bad blood. He's got difficult relationships on every side. I would just imagine Thanksgiving for him. I get it. It wasn't a thing for him. But if there were a Thanksgiving, family get-togethers, they were not easy for Paul. They were pretty challenging for Paul. And so what he's going to say today is a lot of times we read something in the Bible and we're like, yeah, but do you really know me? Do you know how complicated my situation is? Today we're reading a guy who, he gets it. His relationships were incredibly challenging, incredibly complex. In Romans 12, Romans 12 verse 18, we're going to spend the most time in this one verse. Here's what he says. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible. Live at peace with everyone. Does that seem like someone who understands hard relationships? No, it seems Pollyanna, right? It seems like that's too good to be true, Paul. That's not possible. You want me to live at peace with everyone? I don't know that I can do that. Here's the good news, here's the bad news. The good news and the bad news is that he starts with this little clause where he says, if it is possible. Which on one hand, I do appreciate that he recognizes it might not be possible, right? You might not, you might not be able to live at peace with everyone. For some of you, Maybe that feels like that's letting you off the hook too easy. For others of you, maybe that's the kind of hope you need. That, hey, you might not be able to have peace with everyone. But he's saying, if it is possible, meaning that the, the promise that he's making to us, he's not, he's not promising peace. Yes, peace is always possible, but peace is not always promised. Why can't he promise peace in every relationship? Because it takes how many to tango? Two. So he said, hey, I get it. You might be able to do everything that you think you need to do. You might be able to do everything that you can do, but it doesn't mean that you can have peace in the relationship because... It takes two. There's two of us in this relationship. And if I'm coming to the table wanting peace, but the other person is not even willing to come to the table, maybe peace isn't possible in that situation. But he, here's the promise that he is going to make today. Here's the promise that we are going to find as we look through this verse and the 
three verses after this is that you can have peace about the relationship even if there's not peace in the relationship. You you understand the difference there? That you can have peace about it, meaning you don't have to fear running into that person you don't have to feel the anxiety or the burden or the sensitivity of the relationship b- because he's going to give us he's going to give us a plan he's going to give us a way he gives us a here's what's important here's how to understand this he says that there is the possibility of peace in every relationship but even when there's not peace in it because you can't always have peace in the relationship you can feel a sense of peace about it. That, that's the assurance that he's going to give us today. But to understand that kind of peace, to understand, okay, well, how can we have peace about it? We have to pay attention to this little clause that's in the middle of this verse. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I, w- I want to talk about three particular words out of that clause. The first word we're going to look at is the word you, right? As far as it depends on you. You, you know this phrase in our society right now, this phrase, uh, you do you, you know that phrase? I remember seeing it on this Adidas commercial. Russell Westbrook made some sick basketball move, beautiful cinematography. He comes up to the camera and he goes, don't do they, do you. I was like, ooh, I like that, okay. Some of you are like, what does that mean? I don't really know. But I do like that. I, I, I get that that's a real common thing, right? You Maybe you've heard other people say that, or maybe someone said that to you. What do people mean when they say, hey, you do you? I think what it means in our culture is don't worry about what other people say. you got to focus on what your truth or your reality, which I, I don't necessarily agree with that side of it. But the side that I do appreciate is, In a relationship, there is always a responsibility that you and I have in the relationship, right? He's saying as far as it depends on you, meaning you've got to answer this question. Are you willing to do whatever you need to do for the sake of the relationship? Some of you are like, well, it's not my fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. I'm not the crazy one. She's the crazy one. He's the crazy. Okay, 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 we're going to get there. But I'm just saying, would you at least, I think Paul's saying, would you get to the point where you can go, all right, if there's something that needs to be done and it's on my end, I'm willing to do it. Can you get there? This was a huge step for me in the last couple of years with my in-laws is trying to decide, all right, all the relationships aren't as great as I would like them to be. So what, what do I need to do? Am I willing to do it? Am I willing to do? I've got a part to play in this, right? There's a role that I have in this. There's something that does have to do with me. There is some responsibility that I have. Nothing's ever one-sided. And so am I willing to do everything that I can do for the sake of the relationship? Are you? Are you willing to do everything that you can do for the sake of the relationship? Second big word in this clause, we're going to look at the word depends. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
big question we got to determine is what depends on you in this relationship, right? What, what part of this relationship do you have to play? Nothing's ever just one-sided, but there is maybe, maybe there's some stuff that's happened in the past, and you would say it's all his fault or it's all her fault. Would you be willing to admit maybe there is a part that does depend on you? What in the relationship depends on you? It might be 90-10. It might be 90% his fault, 90% her fault. But is there 10%, a sliver of the responsibility pie that you can find that depends on you? Is there anything that you can take ownership for? Can you take a step? Can you own up to it? Can you say, all right, I'll give you that. That was my fault. I'll give you that. That one's on me. Without having to make excuses, without having to blame, without having to say, no, this was all your fault. Is there anything that does depend on you? I'm telling you, this is crucial in any relationship. There, is, there, there must be a mutual submission to each other in any relationship. Of course, it'd be wonderful if it were 100%, 100%, but you might not ever get there. But he says, you can't worry about what depends on him. You'll waste a lot of energy, a lot of time letting her live rent-free in your head. No, what depends on you? What part can you own up to? He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. And then I want to look at this third word out of this clause, the word far. This is recognizing that there's some distance, right? He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. He's he's recognizing that there is a a road ahead. I, I like that he uses a word that recognizes distance because for some of you, to think about having peace in the relationship or even peace about the relationship, that feels a long way off, right? Maybe because of what's been done or because of the dynamic of the relationship. I mean, even to try to explain the dynamic of our extended family, it's just easier to just say it's complicated, right? Anybody have a complicated family where it's just complex? You're like, well, how long do you have, right? It's pretty complicated. And so the thought of getting to a place where there's total peace in every relationship, I, I, I don't know. Getting to the place where there's peace about the relationship, Paul's saying, well, how far are you willing to go? This is an important question. How, how far are you willing to go in the relationship? Is there another step you could take? Is there something else you could do? Is there something else you could apologize for? Is there a gesture, an olive branch of peace that you could offer? He's saying as as far as it depends on you, that if, if if you're wanting peace 
in the relationship, well, that, that may never happen. But you can't have peace about it. But to get there, you got to be willing to take a step. you got to be willing to say, you know what, it's, it's, it's worth it. Even if it's worth it to honor someone else, right? Even if it's worth it to honor your parents, or even if it's worth it to honor their family, or even if it's worth it to honor God, am I willing to take another step? How far am I willing to go? I, I, I want to try to be um, as, as practical as I can about this, and so I'll give you just, this is a a little bit of what's happened in my own life, in my own journey, in my own story to try to find more peace both in the relationship but also about some of the difficult relationships in my life. But I, I love, my hope today would be that you would walk away and you'd go, okay, I've got something real specific that I can do. This isn't me assigning you homework. Some of you, you're not back in the school mindset yet. You know, you're like, I'll get there tomorrow, all right? This is something that would take you just a few minutes of time. I did it in the middle of the night about two years ago when I was just laying there, couldn't sleep, thinking about some of the difficult relationships. But I, I want to give you, based on the, the Romans 12, 18, and then 19, 20, and 21 that we're going to look at in just a second, I want to give you just a, a simple little plan for peace. If you were to say, all right, how do I get on the road to peace? What specifically can I do? How can I find a plan for peace? This would be... Uh, a three-step plan for peace, all right? If you're a note taker, this might be worth writing down. Some of you are like, I'll wait and see it before I write it down. I get it. Here's the first step. Would you ask this question? Excuse me, no, 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 write this down. Did you already put that up there? Would you write this down? Yeah, there we go, write this down. Would you write down this sentence? This is uh if some of you that are therapists, counselors, you use this in your office probably with clients, patients, customers. I never know what to call them. You use this with them, right? Would you write down, I feel, fill in the blank, when you fill in the blank, because fill in the blank. This statement has been so helpful for me in getting to the bottom of what it is that I'm feeling about this relationship. Would you write down, I feel Fill in the blank. When you fill in the blank, because and fill in the blank. Maybe it's uh, maybe you get around your parents. Uh, my wife and I, we've got uh, five kids, fourteen down to six, and sometimes getting around our parents brings out emotions because, uh, in love, in kindness, they try to coach us on being parents. Those of you that are parents, how does that feel, right? So that's been really good to just use this phrase, this simple little formula to go, okay, I feel judged when you coach me on parenting because it feels like you're grading me, because it feels like you're giving me a report card on how I'm doing, because my whole life, that's what a lot of that a lot of childhood is for people, right? Is saying, hey, this is acceptable, this is not. And that's a difficult transition. Some of you have made that transition as parents to go from, hey, I'm no longer in the police role. I'm no longer in the coach role. I've moved into the consultant role. Consultants only answer questions that they are asked, right? That's a, that's a difficult transition. I haven't had to make that transition. 
So I have all the sympathy in the world for people who have had to make it because that's a difficult transition to make. It was difficult for us to go from police, you know, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this, to a coach. Now you try it. Let me see you do it. Your your turn, go for it. Even more difficult is that move from, I'm not going to give my opinion unless you ask me. And I have a lot of opinions. So that's going to be really difficult for me. But it was so helpful for me to go, why do I feel so judged as a parent sometimes whenever I get around my parents or my wife's parents? And I'm not saying that fixes everything, but it was good to just get to the bottom of it. I I opened up a document on my phone, just a notes one night in the middle of the night, and I've got this one relationship and our extended family that's just difficult for me. And I made myself write down, okay, what is it that I'm feeling? And what I determined was, is I feel less than. I feel, if, when I get around you, it makes me feel insecure about me. When you, and it was good to like label the behaviors. Well, I feel like sometimes you talk down to me. I was having these imaginary conversations in the middle of the night, right? And you're wondering, why couldn't you sleep? That's one reason why. I feel less than, I feel insecure, it makes me feel uh, like, seems like you're saying you're better than me when you talk down to me, when you correct me, when you make schneid comments about something that I enjoy, because... Most people would, right? It was good for me to go, okay, well, at least that's not abnormal to feel that way. A lot of people would feel that way. And then it's really good to ask this question. This is step two on the plan for peace. After you've identified, okay, what is it that I'm feeling and what is the behavior that this other person is doing and why is it happening? Then to ask this question, is it really true? This is really important because sometimes you think about it and you go, No, that's not actually true. On either side. I might be assessing a motive to somebody. I might be saying, you do that to make me feel less than. That may or may not be true. I don't know that. I might be feeling less than. I might be feeling insecure. I might be feeling like, oh, I am being judged. And that may also not be true. This is a really important question. I know it seems simple, but to ask the question, is this really true? Is it really true that I am this way? Is it really true that you're doing this? Is it really true that this is why this is happening? This is an important question to ask. And then to get to the third plan for peace, I want to read these last three verses because it kind of uncovers a prayer that I want us to practice praying today as we roll into the most wonderful time of the year He says, if it is at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then then he goes on to say, for those of you that have strained relationships, for those of you that have broken relationships, for those of you that have hard relationships in your life, verse 19, he says, do not take revenge, my dear friends. Don't take revenge. And this is difficult because some of you are like, this is in the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? I'm not going to like throw eggs at their car. I'm not going to go puncture their tires. I'm not going to take, what is taking revenge in 2023? I think taking revenge, the most common revenge that we take is, do you secretly enjoy any suffering that they experience? 
Some of you have looked up your old boyfriends or girlfriends on Facebook, and you love seeing that they've had a hard time recently, right? You wouldn't tell anybody that, but you just kind of secretly enjoy, you secretly celebrate the things that don't go well. I think that's the most common kind of revenge that we experience. He says, don't, don't take revenge, my dear friend. Do not take revenge. Can you pop that verse back up there? Yeah, thanks. But instead, leave room for God's wrath. I thought there would be more. Amen. This is important. He says, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. When we fail to offer grace to someone, when we fail to forgive someone, what, it's, it's almost as if he's saying we're boxing God out. We're leaving no room for God. And he's saying, make room, make room for what God wants to do. If someone is talking down to you, if someone is doing something to hurt you, do you not believe that your loving father cares about you? Well, then the question is, well, who sits on the judge seat? Who gets to decide that is wrong, that is wrong, and here's the punishment that is assigned? The, the judge gets to decide that. And he's saying that when you take matters into your own hands, you're boxing God out. But when you leave room, leaving room for God to do what only he can do and only he should do because he's the ultimate judge. It's believing that God, you are the true avenger. I, I see this in two ways. I see not only does God, is he the one that enforces the punishment, but he's also the one that can pay back what was taken right? Some of you feel like somebody wrecked your family. Somebody messed up the holiday. Somebody makes it worse because of their decisions. Do you believe that God can restore that? Do you believe that God is the one that can repay? He says, ultimately, it's mine to revenge, not avenge, revenge. It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. The, the next verse, can you put verse 20? up there. He says, on the contrary, and then he gives us something else to do. He says, instead of doing that, do this instead. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In other words, give someone a blessing that they might not deserve. Forgive someone for something that they haven't even apologized for. Would you be willing to give somebody the blessing that they don't deserve, that maybe they haven't even asked for? This is the way peace shows up. Peace follows moves like this. There are so many of you, you have done this. You've forgiven a father who walked out. You've forgiven a mother who dropped the ball. You've forgiven a sibling who's made some detrimental choices that have affected everyone in the, in the family, and you have genuinely forgiven this person. Has there been less peace or more peace? Maybe not in the relationship, but about it. I, I, I would guess more, right? Peace follows forgiveness. Peace follows people who are willing to give a blessing that the other person didn't even earn. Why? Because it is a reflection of what God has done for us. 
It is a reflection of the grace that he has heaped onto us. Paul finishes this and he says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. In this day and age, in this society, when someone was repentant, they would walk around with burning coals on their head. And so he's saying, if you want that person to apologize, if you want that person to come back for more, then you must heap these burning coals on their head with a blessing that they didn't earn. He says, no, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love that phrase. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So first, write it down. Would you write down, I feel when you because? Secondly, would you ask the question, is it really true? And then thirdly, would you pray this prayer? I want to end our time today by praying this prayer. I, I, I know there were a lot of hands that went up when I said, how many of you have a hard relationship? I would, my hand would be in the air as well. My wife's hand would be in the air as well. But as followers of Jesus, we should, not we should, we get to pursue peace. And you just don't actively find, excuse me, you don't passively find what you don't actively pursue. If you're going to find peace, we're going to have to actively pursue it. And so this prayer is just a way for us to get this started. The prayer just represents, recognizes, reflects what we just read. Father, I, I trust you with this relationship. Would you give me eyes to see this person like you see this person? Would you help me to trust you as my defender and ultimately help me to treat this person with the grace that you've treated me? Would you mind just in your heart, maybe even if, if you would be willing to open up your hands even, but would you mind, I wouldn't say close your eyes and bow your head because then you can't read it, but would you mind just opening up your opening up your heart and maybe even praying this prayer, particularly if there's somebody that comes to mind, maybe picture their face as you're praying this prayer. But let's, let's say this out loud together as we close. Father, I trust you with this relationship. Give me eyes to see this person like you see this person. Help me to trust in you as my defender. And ultimately, help me to treat this person the grace Father, I pray that, um, that today would be a day of miracles. God, who are we to think that massive difference couldn't be made in a relationship just because of your spirit and the activity of you inside of our lives? And so whether or not we ever have peace in the relationship, we just pray that you would give us peace about it. God, whatever depends on us, I pray that we would own it. However far we think we should go or could go, I pray that we would take that step. We would go there. And God, we just ask you for great amounts of restoration, that this season wouldn't be a season of dread, that it wouldn't be a season of anxiety, but it would be a season of joy, that ultimately it would be a season of peace because that is who you are, the Prince of Peace. And so we exalt you and we celebrate you and we thank you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.